All right. 729. 729. <laughs> well, let's pray. The Lord be with you. Gracious God, who feeds us on a daily basis, let us always be open to the needs of others. Let us search to find those in our midst that need to join with us in the meal of your grace. Amen. Uh, so, yes, I, I got asked, um, we were at the clergy conference and um, sharing a story, because uh, I had come straight to Camp Weed just a few weeks ago from our food ministry, and Joe and I were just talking, and suddenly he went, wait a minute, I need a speaker. Could you come? <laughs> And, and the information that I got was um, spiritual disciplines, freedom in spiritual disciplines, right? Am, am, I, am I right? And service. Uh, and I thought this was a brilliant topic. So I may ramble a little bit, and then I'm hopefully going to leave room to have some discussion and questions at the end. And if at any point something I say is confusing or you want to ask a question, just shout it out there. Because it, it's all good. It's all good. Um, so I'm at St. Mary's, and I love being at St. Mary's. Uh, we do a lot of things there. But the first things that we do is that we're a worshiping community. We're a church. And we're a church uh, just like other churches in the diocese. We have uh, Eucharistic services on Sunday morning, and we have a Church Without Wall service uh, on Sunday mornings. We have prayer services, morning prayer, and contemplative prayer throughout the week. We have a Sunday formation for adults because we and our youth that are there join us when they're there. We have a MOPS group, a Moms of Preschoolers group that meets every other Monday night, and we have a Girl Scout group that's meeting there now, which meant we got cookies. <laughs> <laughs> So it is, it is fabulous. We have vacation Bible school in the summer. But because of our location and because of our history, one of the biggest ways we interact with members of our community is that, yes, we have a feeding ministry. Um, twice a week, people can come to our food pantry. And we feed more than 100 households every week. More than 100 households. Some people that come get, uh, people that come that don't have a place to store foods in a long term sometimes get like what we call a snack bag of shelf-stable items that they can take with them, canned meats, things like that. Other people get full groceries, frozen meats, fresh fruits and vegetables, canned goods, hygiene items, and then some just random things that either get donated or come from different grocery stores that we, we put them on the white shelves and they're called white shelf items because it could be spices or it could be coffee or it could be, right now we have, uh, what are the, um, lots of bags of those dehydrated pea snacks that are kind of addictive. You think they're weird and then you eat one and you just keep eating them. So we have all sorts of things. And I'm so happy to be here because, really, Church of Our Savior, I think y'all are our source, our biggest source of volunteers. I would say 
we have more volunteers from your congregation, I, I could be wrong, than I think almost any other church in the diocese. And I have had the great joy of getting to know people from here that are now some of my best friends because we've been working together in our pantry ministry all these years together, and it is a joy. So I just, I want to start off by saying thank you. Thank you. Because without your support, we could not do what we do. But I'm here to talk about the discipline of service, the spiritual discipline of service. And I want to start off uh, by going way back in my history to just share a story. When I was a, so I grew up in Tennessee. And uh, when I, I went to college in Tennessee, and I really felt like I knew Tennessee very well. And when I was a sophomore, I had an opportunity to go on a program called Alternative Spring Break, where students would go and volunteer on their spring break instead of going somewhere fun. Our motto was skip the beer to volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so we went, I ended up in a group that went to Roses Creek, Tennessee, which was a little bitty place in the Appalachian Mountains of Tennessee. And I, like I said, I, I'm, I was born, I was actually born in Ohio, but I lived pretty much my whole life from Tennessee. My grandparents were, my dad was from there, and I thought I'd seen it all, and I'd never seen anything like this little town. The girls that went on the trip were staying in a trailer, unheated trailer, that I think it had garbage and stuff in it, and they cleaned it out for us. And the boys were staying in a shed. Again, March in Tennessee is kind of like today. It's pretty cold. And one of the first days there, uh, there was this little woman, she was a nun, her name was Marie Cirillo, and she worked at the Woodland Community Land Trust. And we kept asking her, what are we going to do? Like, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? Because we were ready to do stuff, right? We were coming here, and, and we saw the poverty in the midst of this place, and we were going to fix it. So she said, this is what we need to do. There was trash in lots of places everywhere. There was this area with trash. It was awful because it's such a beautiful landscape. And so she said, what I want you to do is to clean up this trash and bag it up, and then, and then we're going to take it away. And man, we did it. We went and we, we put stuff into bags. There was furniture that we were breaking apart. There were dirty diapers. There was clothing. There were pieces of metal and things that had broken, and you could almost tear it apart. And we put it all in the bags, and we did such a good job. We were fixed. We were cleaning up this spot. And then we got the bags, and she brought her humongous pickup truck, and we put the bags in the back of the pickup truck, and we climbed into our cars, and we followed her around this road to the dump. And when we got there, we found that it wasn't really a dump. It was a couple of dumpsters and all this place. And there was no place to put your trash there except for dump it down the hillside, just like it had been when we picked it up. And that was because in this little bitty town, the mineral rights were not owned by the people in that town. They were owned by a, an out-of-country company. And so there was no tax base in this town. There were no trash services. There were no accredited schools. The grocery store was very far away. People were farmers, and they lived with as much dignity as they could muster. And um, 
And what Sister Marie talked to us about was that we were probably not going to fix the problems that were there in this week. But that what we could do would be to spend time with the people there and work with them in their homes and doing things that we were going to be doing. But the important part was to open up our hearts and our minds and to listen to the stories that people were going to tell. And that week changed my life. I mean, listening to a farmer who had lived on his land with a century farm and and the ways that ups and downs had happened and his farm had caught fire and it burned down and this was kind of why he was in this situation that he was in. You know, it. and the biggest thing about it was that it set me on this path to think about what does it really mean to engage in not just service, but in the Christian discipline of service. So, as I said, when we often think about service, we think about action, what we can do. We think about the things that we can fix or we can build or we can paint. We think about the food that we've donated, um, the trash that we pick up, the way that we can make things better. And that is good. Believe me, at St. Mary's, we need the food that's donated. We need groups that come and work in the garden and do the things. That is good. But um, one of the things about that time in Appalachia was that service can also be found in listening intently to another human being. In tenderly and lovingly holding the sorrows of another and just holding them. In simple, everyday acts of kindness that that mean the world to someone else. Treating others with dignity and respect. The reason that 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 happens is because the spiritual discipline of service isn't from what we do, but from the way that we are present, both to the others in our midst and present to the Holy Spirit. That's frankly what makes anything a discipline, right? Anything that we do. And when we can work to become present to the spirit in all these acts, then we see that sometimes these tiny corners of life are really genuinely significant parts of the kingdom of God. That it's not always the big one-time events that we do, but it's the ongoing ways in which we companion with other people. It's hard In this day and time, we were talking a little bit about our phones at at my table at dinner. And you know, there's there's no glitz to this in this world where, good Lord, it didn't really happen unless you can post a picture of it on Instagram. These things don't always have that. And, And yet, therein lies the freedom. 
of that kind of a discipline. And the freedom is because there's such joy in noticing that a fellow human being has dirty feet that need to be washed and getting the water and the towel and the soap and washing them full of the knowledge that they're just going to get dirty again. I came to St. Mary's originally as a volunteer about six months or so after Mother Beth had, uh, had started there. Uh, before I went to St. Mary's, I worked uh, for almost 15 years at St. Mark's Episcopal Church. I was their director of Christian formation and worked with, um, as, as a layperson, and worked with uh, youth and children and adults and families and intergenerational events and everything in between. And so I had, for years, taken groups to go and volunteer at St. Mary's and, and loved it. And, uh, and we'd done food drives. We'd kind of done all that. But I had I'd honestly never been involved in their food ministry, like just kind of seeing the people that came to the pantry. So um, when, we, when I started there, that was one of the things that Beth had, Mother Beth had said would be really helpful. So I was the kind of intake person. That's, that was how I started. And uh, how many people have ever volunteered there? Okay, how many people have volunteered there in when we, the way that we used to do it in the, anybody else, have you ever been there in the old kind of, so the admin building. So we had the admin building, and on Tuesdays and Thursdays, people would line up, and then they would come into the admin building, and, and I was sitting at a desk, kind of behind a desk, and then there's like a little window, that you, like an old-timey doctor's office window that you look through, and folks would come in. And they would give me their ID, and then I would have to go to a file cabinet and pull up a paper file. And uh, the way that we used to do it was, um, there, and, and believe me, there's nothing wrong with this. It's just, it's just to describe the way that we did it. So when people came in, um, we would give them food for, for however many people were in their family. So if you're a family of one, if you're a family of two, if you're a family of, my family's one of six, I have four kids. Um, if you're a family of ten, whatever you are, that's... So I would have to verify that everything was correct and this was the number of people in their family and they would take a slip and go around. And, um, and when I did that, I got to, because I was checking him in, I really got to meet these people. So I got to meet uh, this man that I still know who is a Korean War veteran, totally disabled by addiction to alcohol. I mean, looks so much older than he really is. Um, I got, to, uh, I got to, to meet the person that is the head of this Haitian family that, um, that moved, educated, very educated, um, moved here, trying to escape oppression and to have a sense of, of opportunity. Uh, I got to meet people that were there, and there are some people that are homeless, but most of the people that come to St. Mary's for food are people that just live in the neighborhood. They live in um, either in 06, 32206, where we are. They might live in 09, 08, 02, but that's where most of the people are. And 
when you get to know people, you start to develop relationships. One of the guys that I know, I just saw him Tuesday too, uh, his name is Mark. And so Mark, um, I, I don't think Mark's homeless, but let, he moves around a lot. We'll say that. He moves around a lot. And um, Mark would come, and, uh, and Mark would often try to tell me that he didn't have his ID and he was somebody else. Like, he would kind of do that sometimes. No, I'm not. I'm, you know, he would come up and he would say, my name is Tom Jones. And so once when Mark did this, I just said, Mark, I know it's you. And he was like, what do you mean? And I gave his whole name. And he said, well, how do, you, how do you know my name? I was like, because I know you, Mark. And he looked at me and said, you know me? I was like, yes, I know you. And in that instant, our relationship changed. Because Mark knows that he is known. He knows that I will greet him if I'm driving in my car, if I see him at the corner mark where he sits, the laundromat. He knows that, that even though everybody has to bring an ID, I know him. And there's power in being known. The same power that comes from us knowing that the Almighty God knows each and every one of us. And that was, I think, a changing point for me in the way that I started to do ministry there and started to really look at how I could be present to the people that were coming in. And so for me, at that moment, what I was doing changed from checking people in to checking in with people. So at St. Mary's, um, during the pandemic, we had to pivot because we couldn't have all those people coming in and sitting in the office and getting food. And so uh, our volunteers, again, amazing. Emily Beckwith, uh, Waters Beckwith that works there, fabulous. Everybody's terrific. We moved all the dry goods into the church. So our church was all these wheeled carts full of dry goods. You would walk in, and you would think about a church as a place where people get fed, and literally our church was a place that people got fed. And the labor that was involved, we had another room that had our frozen things and, and things that were kept cold. And every week, our sweet volunteers, Jackie and Jackie and Angela and everybody, they would go and they would unload all this heavy stuff into carts and put it on ice. And then we would push it out to the front gates. And people would line up around the outside wall. And then I would go out along the outside wall and walk from person to person and talk to them. And that's how we would check in. And I mean, that changed everything, right? Because then I'm not up here behind the window. I'm in the mix with everybody else. And so are all the volunteers. We're all in the mix. And then we all started thinking about the ways that we were doing things. In the midst of the pandemic, and I tell this story too much, so I was trying to think of other stories to tell, but I just have to. So I go around and I'm checking people in and I'm trying to do it quickly because it's a long, hot day and people have been working and we are hot. 
And I get to this woman, and, and she started saying something about all the people that work here. And I said, well, we don't work here. Everybody here is a, is a volunteer, really. Most, I, I work here, but everybody else is a volunteer. And she said, what do you mean you're volunteers? I said, yes, ma'am, this is a church, and we're volunteers. She said, you mean you're like Christians? <laughs> said, yes, ma'am, we are Christians. And she said, like real-life Christians? Yes, ma'am. Real life Christians. Like filled with the Holy Spirit Christians. And I said, yes, ma'am. We are filled with the Holy Spirit Christians. And she said, well, all right then. And she was having none of it. And as I continued to check people in and then walked back, the thing that kept jiggling in the back of my brain was, are we? Are we for real life filled with the Spirit Christians? Or was the anxiety that permeated everything during our lives at that point? Was the anxiety about would we have enough food and how many people could we see and was it too hot or too cold or too rainy and how many people did we need to get through? Was that impacting the way that we were open and present. Remember, because it's about being open and present. Was that impacting the service that we were providing? And so we started kind of joking. We, we started joking about, that. are we filled with the Spirit? Angela was are you filled with the Spirit today? Well, I don't know. Maybe I am. I hope so. Um, and so I really had to think about, I've, um, I've kind of had this weird path in terms of my ministry, but I did... Uh, one of the things that I was doing when I was trying not to become ordained was that I felt like I wasn't very pastoral. And um, I went to divinity school a long time ago, and then so I had never done clinical pastoral education. So I said, I'm going to do this because I just want to prove to myself that I can't do it. And then I did it, and I loved it. And I ended up um, doing an advanced chaplain residency and then worked for a while, some at St. Mary's and some as a chaplain at Wolfson Hospital and MD Anderson. And one of the things that we had talked about then was being a calm, non-anxious present when you're in the midst of a crisis. And, uh, and so that really made me think about how am I grounding myself when I'm doing service, right? What is keeping me connected to the spirit? I don't know what's going to work for you. But I will tell you for me, um, I have to have structure. And my structure has to involve other spiritual disciplines. So I'm an early morning person. I get up kind of really dumb early. And every morning I get up, I get dressed, I drive to where I'm going to exercise, and I sit in the car and do morning prayer. Because if I sit in the car and do morning prayer... There are no distractions. My dog is not there saying, are we going to go for a walk right now? You know, I just, can, I just can start my day in prayer. So I pray, and then I move, and I drink water, and then I come back and make sure that I talk to the people in my life that I love. And those things, prayer, Bible study, movement, water, and connection, that makes it able for me 
to be able to breathe and be calm and be present and bring God into what's happening. The other thing is that we realized in the midst of the pandemic that um, back in the day in the house, I would pray, I would do like a big loud prayer before we would do it. And we kind of stopped doing that a little bit during the pandemic. I think, again, just because we felt all this pressure to feed these people that were suddenly so many more people needed food. So many more people had lost their jobs and were out of work and there was so much more need. And so I felt like we didn't have time to pray. And then we realized we don't have time not to pray. So every day, every Tuesday, every Thursday, we begin our pantry people, the pantry work. There's two things that we always do. One is um, new people get to know the rules and people that, uh, I remind people of the rules. And our biggest rule, the only really one we have, we have little ones like no alcohol and no tobacco. That seems kind of like you would think that, right? No alcohol, no tobacco when you're coming into the church to get your food. Um, But the big one is to be kind. To be kind to yourself, to be kind to others, to be kind to the volunteers, to know that Jesus loves you and Jesus loves us all. And we're all broken and we're all healed. And all we can do is be kind because this life can be difficult enough without that. And we always pray. And the prayer always goes something like this. Gracious God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this sunny day, for this rainy day, for this cold day, for this Goldilocks day, which is just right. We thank you for these people that are assembled here. We ask that you bless them. We thank you and ask that you bless our friends who cannot be here, those who are sick, those who are in prison, those who are seeking a job. We ask that you bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies, and we ask that you fill our hearts with your love that we may share with others. Amen. And that sets the tone for everyone that's there. So um, after the pandemic, or kind of during the pandemic, we switched to a grocery store model. So now, if you come to St. Mary's and volunteer, I'm looking how I'm on time. Joe, you're good. Yeah, you got uh, 18 minutes. 18 minutes, 18 minutes. So, grocery store model. Um, We really, as we started praying and thinking about service and treating people with compassion and respecting the dignity of every human individual, we really wanted to focus more on choice. Because I don't know about you, but I love Brussels sprouts. How many people here love Brussels sprouts? I do. Not as many as you might think. My daughter, on the other hand does not love Brussels sprouts, as much as I try to convince her otherwise. And so, if I also, I don't really like broccoli, but you know, I don't like greens. Like, if I'm going through with the grocery store, when I go to the grocery store, nobody says, this goes in your cart, whether or not you want it. So we have a grocery store model now. We transformed two of our classrooms, one into dry goods and one into frozen and fresh goods. People come through with a personal shopper, Jackie or Jackie or Angela, and the personal shoppers will go around with them just to help them know how much they can get. On Tuesday, you could get five frozen meats, three things from the produce items area. You could get two things from the dairy kind of refridge. You could get um, a sweet bread, a bread bread, and some things from the random white shelves. It's 
a lot of food. You can also get some hygiene items. What we have is what we have. And as we've changed to this model of personal shoppers, not only is it that I've gotten to know people, but everybody has gotten to know people. So um, everybody that comes in after they're checked in, we write their name on a whiteboard just so that they can see it. And anytime I'm bringing someone, I'm going to say, I'm so sorry, tell me, Susie. Susie. Susie, this is my friend, Mr. Jeter. Mr. Jeter, this is Susie. And then you say, hi. And then you guys talk and then go shopping. And so because of that, everyone gets to know everyone. Now, Joe, I got to say they love Joe because she has a, an accent. And so everybody wants to go with that woman that has the accent. But people remember each other. And so like Mr. Stanley, Mr. Stanley is um, a great guy. He's older. He's almost blind. But you wouldn't really know it to see him. But when Jackie takes Mr. Stanley shopping, she knows that he's blind. And that sometimes, because he's a very proud man, he can be a little crotchety because he's a little embarrassed about the fact that he might be considered to be less than he was. And so Jackie makes sure to really point out to things to him so he can know what it is he's looking at. Miss Pat, um, Miss Pat is a love. And Miss Pat, as she was sharing uh, with one of our volunteers, about something she needed, um, it related to a health issue. And because of that volunteer having a conversation with her about her health, Miss Pat was able to discover that she had an ovarian cyst and have surgery to have it removed before it went south. And that's what happens with connection when you're listening to people. And it, it doesn't just go one way. We have folks there, um, two people uh, that always bring, they always come up and they want to kind of shake my hand and they give me a little money that they say, this is for the ministry. I just want to help you support your ministry. Mr. Blue and I got to talk one time because I had to leave to take my daughter to a basketball game. And he always asks what she's doing and what sport she's playing now and how she's doing in school. And when I'm gone, folks ask, or when Emily's gone, or when anyone's gone, people that are there notice. And not only that, but because of the community that's been created, folks come to Pantry on the same days because they want to talk to their friends that are there, and they notice. And they will come to us and say, I haven't seen Kelvin in a while. I know that he had a stroke. Have you seen Kelvin? Have you heard from him? Do you know what's going on? Or they'll come to us and ask us to pray for certain things and tell us that there's been a death or there's been a birth, that they're going on a trip, or that if they've been gone, this is why they've been gone. So the freedom in spiritual discipline is that when we can be open to the spirit ourselves, when we can work with the other disciplines to ground ourselves, we can free ourselves of the anxiety of just worrying about our own stuff, right? And be open to the joy of listening to what is going on in the lives of others around us.
And man, it is a joy. So I have more stories that I could tell, and I have more things, but I would love to open it up and just see what questions you all have about St. Mary's, if you have any at all. And if not, then I'll talk for another three weeks. Oh, you got time. I got time. Do they do like a screening for the people that work as volunteers? We, um... Can you repeat the question? Yes. Do we do a screening for the people that work as volunteers? Um, Yes and no. Most of our volunteers, um, many of our volunteers have had safeguarding God's... um, you know, safeguarding, they've had to have that. So depending on what you're doing, you, you may, have, may have to have safeguarding. Um, other volunteers, most of the volunteers come are people that have been, they've come, we don't have very many volunteers that show up off the street. How about that? So when we get a volunteer, it is, it's somebody that the screening might be, um, I would call Father Joe and just say, I, you know, I just want to check in. This person that I haven't met is, it would like to volunteer. Um, we have a great app called Homebase that uh, is super, you can put it on your phone. If you want to do that, you don't have to, but it's great. It's on your phone. You can kind of sign up for shifts. And we have, we have volunteer opportunities for any type of person. So for people that want to be involved in our pantry ministry on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you can do that. You can be involved in the pantry ministry also on stocking shelves when food comes in. We always need drivers to go pick up food. We always need drivers. We partner with Feeding Northeast Florida, and we get lots of groceries from a couple of different grocery stores. But people have to go pick it up and load it up and bring. We need volunteers in our gardens. We have a fabulous, the amazing Art and Francis. Art Schultz has done this amazing uh, organic gardens that we have, and we have master gardeners that work on them. But we need help in the gardens. We have a group that gleans that does gleaning as well. And so what we want to do as well is have healthy, organic fruits and vegetables as part of what we do. So so we have kind of a, but we don't have like a, we have a form that you fill out, but we don't have like a background check or anything. We do have one thing, which is if you are receiving food from the pantry, you can volunteer at St. Mary's, but not in the pantry. And that has to do with some things that we do with feeding Northeast Florida. So just to be transparent about that. So we do have some folks that will come and say, I'd love to volunteer, and they can volunteer in the gardens or, you know, do other things like that. Other questions? How many people a week or a month do you think you run through? I can tell you. We do, um, on average, we do over 100 people a week. So, for instance, uh, yesterday, on Tuesday, we had 53 folks that came through. The other way that we change it now is um, everybody gets basically the same. So I should have, remember before I said we used to have this system uh, where people get like, the problem is most of our folks don't have transportation. And I mean, let's be honest, I can't, I, you know, if, if, I, if, if you gave me a, when four kids, when all the boys were home, oh my gosh, it was a lot of groceries. But I just went grocery shopping all the time because I can't physically carry all those bags of groceries, especially not if I'm taking a bus or if I'm walking. So what works better is everybody gets a lot, but everybody kind of gets the same. And you can come once every two weeks. Um, Some people come once every two weeks. Some people come once a month. Some people come once every six months. Some people will come once or twice because they're in a bind. 
and we might not see him again for a while. Um, but that also allows us to know how many people we can feed with full groceries on any given day. And that means that although the worst part of what I do is having to tell people I'm so sorry, we are not going to have groceries for you today. We have already signed up everybody we can sign up. Um, it does mean that individuals are not wasting their time standing in a line that can take an hour or two hours or more if they're not going to be fed. Because nothing would be more undignified than that. That's just not respectful. But 100, um, out of that 100 to 120, when you look at uh, people that come for food, we usually, on average, like 50, I'm going to look at about 50 or so people that we would feed with full groceries. Sometimes more, sometimes less. And then the snack packs, we could give out five snack packs, we could give out ten snack packs, it just depends. A lot of the folks, some of the people who get snack packs, we have a group of guys that work in the neighborhood that do kind of either day labor or they work in people's yard, you know, they, and this is, it's a lunch for them and it's really helpful for them to have a lunch to come. So, I'll, you know, most of our folks um, are older. Um, we have, we have like all age ranges, but most of them are older. We have a sad number of really young people, which kind of makes me really sad when you have people that are kind of out on their own at 20, 21, 22, and have no place to live. Um, most of our people, uh, lots and lots are, are um, have some type of a physical disability that makes it difficult for, we have a lot of people that come in wheelchairs or walkers or with canes. Most of our folks do not have cars. Most of them carpool or they borrow a car or they take the bus or they walk or they have a bike. Mm -hmm. So they have to sign up before they come? Yes. How does that work? So when they get there, that's a great question. So for instance, on Tuesdays, people will get there Tuesday morning like I came to work the other day, 9 o'clock, and there were people sitting out there in their wheelchairs. They get there as early as 3, 3, 4 a.m. I mean, it's crazy. And, and so um, on Tuesdays currently, we open, we start serving food. We, we start handing out food at 2. And so we, I will walk outside at 1 o'clock. So about an hour before we're going to open, I will walk outside and will welcome everyone, and then I will sign everybody up. You can't save a spot for people. And so every, you just have to be there and wait. And really, um, we start at 2. Like, you could get there at 1 o'clock, and Davin's to Donuts, you're going to get in. You're going to get on the list, right? You're going to be in the first 50 people. There is a certain anxiety as you can, we remember that anxiety during the pandemic when we were all worried that we weren't going to have toilet paper and what was going to happen, and suddenly you find yourself going, oh, "I got to get all the toilet paper I can get." When you're food insecure, there is an anxiety that leads you to, to be like, "I've got to get there at nine in the." So you get there at nine in the morning and you wait until two o'clock, and that's when we're going to start serving. Or you get there at one and you wait, and you're going to be finished by four thirty or five. I mean, you, it's less if you just. But I understand the anxiety that you're not going to have food, and that food is what you need to live on. And for a lot of our folks, they have to make really hard choices between do I get to dialysis or do I get food? Do I pay my rent or do I get food? 
Uh, that's. Mm -hmm. I just want to make a couple of comments um, as far as the taking uh, people with the good hand and the good they get. Um, like Mother uh, Laura said, everybody gets a bag of basically what we call pantry staples, and that can be rice, beans, you know, um, cereal, that type of thing. And uh, then they get to pick some meats, some produce, dairy, and sweets and bread. But how much they get, because I know uh, Laura said, you know, like this past week, that fact's been going on for about three weeks now, they've been getting to get five packages of meat. But, I mean, this goes in cycles. Um, if there have been, you know, weeks, weeks, they've only gotten one package of meat to last them for two weeks. It, um, and right now, our, uh, we take quite a bit of produce because all the winter gardens are being pulled up. So the last couple of weeks, we've had tons of produce, but it's about to get wiped out because all the gardens have been pulled up and new plantings are going in. There's not going to be a harvest now for you know three months probably. So whatever we can get from the grocery stores now is about the excess produce we're going to have. The pantry shelves have been really empty for months. months. Um, the bags, the prepared, uh, prepared bags we give them in their boxes of food, they were so light yesterday. I wasn't sure if there was even food in them. Um, they only had like four items instead of having, you know, maybe ten. So, uh, and this is, and the box of food is for two weeks, and mostly these are families. Uh, you know, like she said, we, you know, she checks in 100 people between the two days, but out of that, almost every one of them is shopping for a family. Yeah, it's 100 households, so when you think about that, some people might be one, but most of them are two, three, four, or five. And, and I, I'm going to go back, I'm going to circle back to this idea of presence and spiritual disciplines. Um, shopping for food for others can be a part of the spiritual discipline of service. It's all in the intention and the prayerfulness in the way that you do it. There's this great um, book that I'm going to blank on the title right now, but it, uh, it's, it applies to the work that I do with like moms and, and families, and it's this, it really looked at all these acts of being a parent, like making lunches for school or um, changing diapers or doing laundry and the way that those can be acts of, of spiritual acts in the way that you pray and have intent and are open to the voice of God. The same thing with shopping. When you go out and you think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just get a couple of items every time I go. I mean, hygiene items. We always need soap and deodorant and things like that. When you think about that and you pray for those people and for others that might need to be clean, that might need to be fed. It's powerful. How can we, if we feel compelled, uh, two quick, if you feel compelled to volunteer, how can we get involved? And are you doing the foot washing uh, for Monty Thursday again? Foot washing. I'll know about the foot washing tomorrow. Let me know and I'll, I'll... I'll let you know about the foot washing tomorrow. Um, I don't know it has to do with the St. Bill. Yeah. Because um, I love the foot washing. So uh, 
we, if you want to volunteer, call. Um, you can reach out to me. Um, you can email me. At the, that email is probably best. If you go on the St. Mary's website and you just can click on like my email and let me know that you want to volunteer, and um, and we can get you all set up. Or you could talk to any of the folks that already volunteer there, and they can kind of share. And as I said, there's um, we have volunteer meetings four times a year. We have some orientation that happens before. There are lots of different things that we need people to do, and it can be once a year or once a quarter or once a week. But I would say email me. All right, you got, I mean. I'm almost there, right? You're there, you're 7.9. I mean, thank you, Joe. Thank you, yes. Mm. Gracious God, I give thanks for this community. We ask that you be with us in the days and the weeks to come. You be with us as we listen for your will and as we work to feed others in our midst. Amen. And now, my friends, may you be blessed in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. It hurts. It's hard to hear that the pantries are... are uh, the shelves are, are empty. It is better as a church to give food or to give money? Like right, right away, I mean. Um, it, it's whatever's, e- I mean, I'm not going to turn away money. <laughs> um, either. Food is, I mean, I would say for, uh, if the church would like to give money, that would be very well appreciated because with money, we can work to purchase food through feeding Northeast Florida. But groceries are always, I mean, food is always appreciated. Sure. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's just really helpful. Yeah. We'll be sending a check soon. Thank but you. But if you'd like to participate, then let me know. Yeah. All right. Thank you so Thank much. You. Next week, uh, Charlie Holt, who's our Bishop Coadjutor elect, will be with us. I don't know what, he doesn't really have probably many spiritual disciplines, um, but uh, he'll, he'll come up with something to, to talk about. Uh, God bless you. We'll see you Sunday, if not before. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're yeah. welcome. <laughs>